This light a candle meeting, which takes its name from the proverb, it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness, through shared experience, strength, and hope, we seek to shine a light through the darkness of our illness onto the spiritual path to recovery. Herb K. describes sponsorship, saying that the premise of the 12 steps is that an awakening is necessary. This is defined as a change in the way we think, feel, and act, requiring intervention by a power other than ourselves. Having a guide is of paramount importance. He or she is a person to shine the light of their experience on the path they have walked so that we can walk it and have our own experience, to also be a sounding board for questions and concerns. They also hold us accountable to be thorough and consistent, while inspiring us to continue when the, when the going gets rough or we get distracted with our life. In that spirit, please join us today as we welcome three recovered sponsors who will be sharing their experience, strength, and hope of what it means to sponsor, how they sponsor, and what it means to be sponsorable to them. Please welcome Tony. Again, hi everybody, I am Tony, and I am a very grateful recovering compulsive overeater. Um, my sobriety date is June 14th, 1990. My home group is Cornwall, New York, Methodist Church, and I do this for a living. Um, June 14th was hopefully my last binge. I had a day of hell with the food. Was in my room on a beautiful summer day in New York at at like 6.30 at night, and somebody called to have my daughter babysit for them. And it was somebody I knew from her school, and uh, she very sweetly said to me, I'm going to OA, would you like to go with me? And I was like, well, what is OA? And she said, it's for compulsive overeaters. And I said to myself, I weighed over 230 pounds, oh my God, she thinks I'm fat. And I just, something inside of me said, all right, I'll go. I was in my room with the shades pulled, crying after having a horrendous day of food. I went to my first meeting. I barely remember um, who was there, but I remember feeling in the first half hour, I heard the word God. Oh, no, shut down. Um, never heard the word food. Okay, good. Um, heard serenity and peace. And so the second half hour, I kind of perked up and started looking at your eyes. And I could see happiness, joyousness, freedom from what was killing me. I walked out of that meeting with that woman and I asked her to be my sponsor. I also must have heard that word. And she said, oh, I would love to. And she pulled out this sheet from this big bag she was carrying. And she said, this will be your food plan. And I said, okay. And, you know, she drove me home and dropped me off. And she said, call me in the morning at, I think it was like 6 o'clock. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't get up that early. She goes, well, you will now. And I said, oh, okay. I, can you call me? No, you have to call me. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll call you at six. 
And I went in the house and I started looking at this sheet and she had said in the car, I want you to eat like, you know, between a thousand and 1200 calories a day on this sheet. And it was the diabetic diet. And I grew up with a mother who was always terrified that one of her four kids would get diabetes. And, and I was, I was afraid of that, you know, so I kind of tried to limit my sugar. My brother, by the way, ended up getting it and horrendous. Um, that day, June 15th, I called my new sponsor for the very first time. And she had the sweetest voice you've ever heard. She gave me directions for my day. She asked me what I was going to eat. I said, I don't know yet. How, how would I know? Uh, one thing I did do when I first got home uh, the night before, I had a, the top of my fridge was full of junk food. And it had been suggested to me to throw all of the junk out of the house. So I threw it all out in my backyard. Not the, not the paper, but I dumped everything out in my backyard that night and got rid of all the stuff in my house. So she said, well, maybe you'll have to go to the grocery store. And I said, okay. And, and I, you know, I devised a plan from that sheet she gave me for that day. She also told me she wanted me to call three other people. I, they'd given me a phone list at that meeting. She wanted me to pray and meditate. I said, I don't pray. I'm not praying. She said, well, okay, just think about it then. Um, she wanted me to do the food. Um, oh, and she suggested that I start journaling. I said, you know, I used to journal when I was younger. I, I could do that. So already, you know, the defiance. One of my outstanding characteristics is kicking in. But... The difference today from yesterday, the 14th of June, 1990, I did it. I did what she suggested. And, oh, my God, I cannot tell you how good I felt that night. Um, that gal made me call her every morning. And she suggested that I get a job at one point. I'd been a stay-at-home mom for years, and... You know, I was in New York. I was in a strange country anyway. I wasn't from here. I knew nobody. She said, you know, they always need subs at school. Why don't you just put yourself on a sub list? I'm like, I know nothing about teaching. She said, did you ever babysit? I said, yeah. Have, do you have children? Yeah. Well, then you know what to do. I was like, okay. So I did it. She wanted me to do it. I did it. I got hired. Oh, my God. Um so many miracles in recovery, really. I, I went from, you know, June 14th, binging on the couch, despising life, not having a life, having a, a death, life on, death on, on earth, to having the fullest life that I never could have imagined for myself. Um, you know, I've since read things about how to choose a sponsor, and six months in, I had I'd done all the steps with her, and she said, you know, you have to think about being a sponsor and raising your hand and saying you're ready to sponsor because you've gone through all the steps. And I was just terrified. I said, I really don't feel comfortable. I don't know enough. She said, you do. You really do. And and so I did it. I I I complied. And um, what I've read um, through the years is. Be somebody 
that's happily abstinent. You know, don't be the Tony that was inside of me going, oh, God, this sucks. This is so hard. Oh, my God, I can't do this. Be. Well, this is easy. This is good. This is doable. Yeah, we got this. Um, be somebody who listens more than talks. Let, let people talk to me. Um, have a positive attitude. I came in with such negativity. I, I was just, I was, it, it enshrouded me. I'm not kidding. Um, try to meet your sponsor at a meeting, not, you know, not at the local, you know, what shop. Um, make sure she's got a lot of time. Um, they used to say five years for a good sponsor. Now it's more like a year. Um, and be somebody that a new sponsee isn't going to dread calling. Like, I have to say, honestly, I've never dreaded having to call a sponsor. I did dread having to make those three phone calls in the beginning. But um, I heard recently, and this is what Rita told me, you're going to make them until you want to make them. And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, you're going to change your mind, and you're going to look forward to making those calls. And you know what? Honestly, that never happened for me. I got so many calls in that God kind of took care of that for me. That's that's the way I choose to look at it. Um, I That sponsor ended up kind of fading away from the program, and I got another sponsor. And this gal was in AA and OA. And she started telling me, you know, alcohol is a part of your story. You should be going to AA meetings. And I did not feel like I needed AA at all, not at all. And she said, mm, you've got a lot of the isms. I think you need to hear about that, that program too. And, oh, my God, all right. So I started going to the women's meeting in Cornwall. And, <laughs> of course, she was right. Oh, my God. A whole nother, um it's the same disease. It is. I truly believe that. But I needed to hear what the alcoholics were saying, too, because there were just some things that were different. I did hear uh, one of the things that's always stuck with me. Alcohol is just liquid sugar. You know, I just wanted that sugar. Um, but I also think that alcohol is my first addiction. I don't think that I was a born, uh, I think I was born an alcoholic, not a compulsive overeater. Um, that sponsor taught me how to blend recovering Tony with my sick family. That was tough. That was a, that was tough. And I couldn't have done that without my sponsor. She was my person. The first one was too. You know, I, I always say, find your person. She is in any room you're in, you can find your person. Um, and for me, it was always somebody that I was a little bit afraid of, um, had a little bit on a pedestal, but then they just became, the more we got to know each other, they became right-sized. I don't, I don't know how to explain that. Um, that sponsor told me that I, too, you know, had to be a sponsor, and, and we are God's instruments. It's, it's nothing to do with you, Tony. You're doing the work of God. Get, get your ego out of it. Um, and you know what? I do. I want to be his instrument. I don't want this to be about me. Um, I learned that I didn't have a relationship with food. <laughs> I was always talking about my 
relationship. She said, how do you have a relationship with an inanimate object? And I was like, oh, okay. I guess I just loved food that much. She didn't laugh. Um, for me, in the beginning, the less we talked about food, like I never really talked to my food, about my food with my sponsor unless I was, uh, until I was headed towards maintenance. But the less I hear about food, talk about food, the better I feel inside of me. I feel like, you know, back in the, in the beginning, we didn't, we didn't say specific foods in meetings because it triggered people. And I think about masks today and, and it's the same thing. It's that, that defiance. Like, why do you have to talk about foods that I know everybody, all of you guys have eaten the same things that I haven't gotten in trouble with. Why do I have to name them? I don't. And so I don't, I don't want to trigger anybody. Um, I've been on that same food plan for 30 years. I came because I was powerless over food. Um, Rita made me buy a place mat and sit at the kitchen, at the dining room table and eat my meals. I always wanted to eat in front of the TV. Nope. You eat at the table like a lady. Um, she made me turn my food over to her every day. The suggestion is, you know, you do that for 30 days, but she said she really wanted me to get used to sharing it because sharing it takes away the shame. And she was right. Um, I read a lot of OA literature. I just noticed that um, our step book was printed in 1990, and that's when I joined. And it's like God did that just for me. Um, I know he didn't. She was adamant about going through the steps. We did the steps very quickly. Um, I don't recall having the book. I had the Brown Overeaters Anonymous book. I don't know if we still read out of that, but, you know, Roseanne's story's in there, and there's a lot of really cool stories that, that she used to make me read, and then we would talk about them. I am now addicted to the 12 steps. I truly, I do this every single day. Um, she told me, she taught me about being a spiritual being, having a human experience. Oh, my God, I fought the God stuff, like, horribly, because I was so angry at him, and she wouldn't let me stay angry, and I'm grateful for that, and I found a higher power who is my guy, he is just my, he's my everything, I became overwhelmed with, you know, I did start sponsoring, and I took on a lot of sponsees, and I was working now, too, and I became overwhelmed with the phone calls. I would get up at 4.35 in the morning and start getting phone calls every 15 minutes. And I was, that's how I was sponsoring people and taking, you know, which, what step are we on? We're on two. Which step? We're on 10. We're, so I, I got a little overwhelmed in the beginning. And I had to cut back and uh, make boundaries. Oh, I didn't want to have to do boundaries. But with the help of my sponsor, I did it, and I had to let people go, and it, it all worked out. It was everybody in OA has always been just lovely. Um, <clears throat> she encouraged me to start sharing immediately, even when I didn't have any recovery to share. She said, we all want to know where you came from. 
So I shared my experience up to then um, without saying anything about specific foods. Um, <clears throat> I heard a lot back then that it's not about the food. And, you know, in that first year for me, it was very much about the food and having to let go. And what about all the birthdays and Christmas and the holidays and did it then poor me, poor me, poor me. And, you know, when I made it through that first year, it was like, oh, my God, why did I think it was just so much about the food? And it's not. About, it's what's going on in here. Um, she taught me about the psychic change that was happening to me on a daily basis. If I let it, she explained that phenomenon of craving to me because I would have certain things in my food plan. And pretty quickly, I would realize I can't. I can't even have one of those. I, I, I have one, put it away, and I want more. So those I had to go out in the backyard. Um, she taught me about living in the sunshine of the spirit. And you know what? I'm still here. I love it. Um, she said it's a plan of action. And I can't, just, I can't just expect it to happen for me daily. I have to do the work. And the work is actually just being a friend to others. Um, there is a process that you're going to go through. There is no perfection, Tony. And, you know, I was, I so wanted to be the perfect OAer, and there is no, there is no perfection. Um, when I first started reading the big book, it made no sense. And she explained to me that you're still so mocus. When you start clearing up, when your brain starts coming out of the fog, you will understand that book. And that book is my Bible today. I stay connected because of that sponsor. I, <clears throat> my sponsor moved away uh, 15 years ago. She's in North Carolina. We are in touch every single day via email. I can call her whenever I want. My AA sponsor moved 10 years ago to Virginia. I can call her whenever I want. Um, there's a bond that's created when we finally make that decision to ask somebody for help. Um, I lost all perspective about real life when I, when I picked up food, and, and I've gotten most of it back. Um, that hole in me that almost tore me apart is gone, and my life is no longer about making the prison that I had created comfortable. It's staying out of that. With that, I will pass. Thank you for listening. I hope I helped somebody. Thank you so much, Tony. We're just going to head up a little north to uh, Edie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Edie, would you like a five-minute um, heads up? Edie, I don't think you're unmuted. Unmute. There we go. How's that? Anyway, I was just saying that I was really blessed to be asked to do this because tomorrow's my anniversary, and it's 38 years since I came into OA. And uh, gratitude, so grateful, so grateful. 
but in also in having to do this, it made me think back to what what happened. And I actually came into OA because not because I was addicted to food, but because I couldn't diet. And so I hadn't been here before, so let me go there. And it made sense. I come from a family of alcoholics, and my sister had been in AA for quite a few years. And so I stayed around. And at first year, what back then, we had seven food plans. And I ate all seven. And at the end of the year, I called my sister and I said, I don't know if this program's working. I mean, I've gained 11 pounds. And she said, well, I don't know about you, but in my program, I can't drink. And I thought, maybe there is something to that food thing. Because what I really wanted was to be as serene as possible and still eat. And so right around that time, there was a gal who had gone to the um, annual convention, and they started speaking about the HOW program, honest, open-minded, and willing to listen. And she started explaining it. And I thought, thank you, God, this is what I really need. Now, not everyone needs this, but I did, because I needed boundaries, I needed discipline, and I needed absolutes when it came to food. That was just who I was. And so they, the food plan for the How program was Gracie, which they give you a list of foods that you can eat, low in sugar, low, no, you know, white flour or anything like that. And I started on it, and all of a sudden, as the days went by, my thinking became clearer and clearer and clearer. And what I decided to do was to look at every day that I was not taking the foods that I was allergic to. And in doing that, I watched my own withdrawal. I needed to see that this wasn't just a little food problem, but that it was a true addiction. I also had to find a sponsor, which I did. And the sponsor said, every day you call me, you give me your food, and you do a writing. And at that time, we had like the first 30 questions, and then we had concept questions, and then we had 184 other questions that we had to do. But what the questions did was it put me into the big book. Now, I had had a big book sitting on the stand beside my bed for a year. And I thought if it was close enough while I was sleeping, it would just be like osmosis. And, but I actually had to pick it up and read it. And that's what the questions made me do was to pick it up and read it. And reading the doctor's opinion, which said, uh, you have an allergy. Now, I'm a nurse, and I know about allergies. And I thought, well, you know, that makes sense. That when I take in these foods, what I do is, instead of breaking out in hives, I break out in insanity. And so I needed to have this absolute. This absolute was... I'm allergic to these things. 
whether I liked it or not. Because I wanted to have an, you know, get out of everything. Well, maybe not really an allergy. Yeah, 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 don't try that. I also was undisciplined. Now, many people thought, oh, she can do five jobs at the same time. But I wasn't really disciplined. And the discipline was having to call my sponsor every day after writing down my food and reading her a writing that I did. And it was the beginning of bringing some kind of discipline into my life. Because I wanted everything to just happen. And what I saw in sobriety was that I was responsible for myself. I was responsible for my actions, some of which when I was eating were not nice. And I was responsible for my recovery. That no matter how much I prayed, God was not going to come down and take the food out of my hand. That it was up to me to do what I needed to do for myself. And so I got a sponsor. I started working the 12 steps. And it was wonderful. One of the things that I love about this program is they tell you, find a higher power that works. Now, if I had come in and they said, this is what you have to believe, I would have been out of there so fast. But in saying, find the higher power that works for you, it made me stop and think. Now, I had been brought up old-time Catholic, and so... My sponsor said to me, just sit down and write out what you want in a higher power. So I thought, okay. And I sat down, and I just wrote two things. I wanted my higher power to love me no matter what. If I ate, the higher power would love me. If I didn't eat, the higher power would love me. So much of my life had been conditional love. Are you thin enough? Do we love you? Are you, you know, doing the right thing? Do we love you? And the second was that, that again, he would, he would help me with everything, that he wanted the best for me always, so that when something happened in my life, I wouldn't start saying, poor me, poor me, because that's poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. And what I needed to do was see, okay, this has happened. Let me look at the positives. Let me make it a positive. All of this I discussed with my sponsor. I was, I was remembering that at one time my sponsor, one of my sponsors had had uh, broken her um, food plan. And so she called me and she said, I can't sponsor you anymore. And I said, okay. So I knew that there was this one gal that was really tough. So I called another gal. I called seven people. And nobody was home or they couldn't sponsor me. 
and I ended up with this tough gal. And I thought, I should have just called her first. This is what really what my higher power wanted. And it was because I need, this is just me, again, me. I needed the discipline and the absolutes that this program gave me. In having the absolutes when it came to food and my program, I was therefore free in the rest of my life. I was free to be happy. I was free to be a good person. I was free to do a really good job nursing because I wasn't drunk on food. I was free of having to control everyone, like my kids. They, they, one of the things about sponsorship is, is look around and see what you want. One of the things that I needed was a sponsor who was doing what I was doing. So I would know where she was in her sobriety. That's why I sponsor how people. Now, some people I can sponsor if they aren't eating sugars or white flour. But I found that I can't hear what I can't eat. That it just triggers too much for me. Now, some people I think can do that, but but for me, I can't hear that you're going to be eating something that there's no way in God's green earth that I could eat and stay sober. And so, especially at the beginning, it was wonderful to be sponsored by people who were doing something exactly what I was doing. I felt it very comforting. And the sponsors also turned out to be a guide where, and I learned a lot about this, that, that there, I never wanted to make my sponsees feel guilty. If they slipped, then we take a look at it. You aren't bad. You aren't, we're just compulsive eaters trying to work through this together. And I needed that kindness because there had been so many absolutes with the diets that I always failed and the absolute of liking myself. I actually had to throw my scale out because my scale always told me who I was. And so in doing this, I did it actually because a sponsor told me, get rid of that thing. That thing is not speaking to you. It's kind of like uh, before Tony was talking about the food. You know, I, I thought to myself, this carrot could care less about me. But I would put this personality on food, and I would put this judgmentalness on my scale. So I had to get rid of that. At the sponsor's request... I went right into the big book in the 12 and 12. And I agree. For me, the big book is a lifesaver. And it is like peeling an onion. Every time I read it, I learn something new. Even though I've read it 
a lot of times before. You're saying, oh my gosh, because I'm at a different place in my life. And therefore, I need different direction. And you think to yourself, these people were geniuses that put this together. But it really is a God-given book. Where as we grow, it still is there for us. It still grows with us. It still blossoms more and more. So for me, for when I sponsor, that I put my people right into the big book. And then from there into the 12 and 12. Because the answers are all there. You know, one of the answers for me that was a big answer was no anger, no resentment. Ever. Because if you read that book, it never says, oh, but in this instance, you can be angry and resentful. To me, anger and resentment are just killers. They put me right down that poor me hole. And, and so initially I can get a little angry, but then... I have to work that out. I have to write about it. I have to tell my sponsor about it. And if I need to, I need to call people. What do you think? So one of the sentences that I wrote down was, no one is more surprised than I am that I'm still here. And that's the truth, because I used to be the biggest quitter. You know, I'll try that for a little while, and then I'm out of here. And and I every year at my anniversary, I said, I can't believe I'm still here. I can't believe I'm still calling a sponsor and giving them my food. You know, if you, if you would have asked me 38 years ago, oh, yeah, you're going to be calling it. What? No, I'll be cured by them. But the one thing that I know is that I'm never cured. Because of my physical makeup, this is who I am. And for today, I'm really, I am at peace with who I am. I'm 80 and I'm addicted to food. I'm allergic to certain foods, but I also could eat volumes of food. And therefore, I have to work this program. But again, as Tony was saying, for me, the day that I said, oh, thank God I have a food plant. I don't have to make any decisions about food. It was a revelation to me. Because I had been holding on, you know, bare-knuckling it, saying, oh, and I can't eat this and I can't eat that. Instead, I decided to flip it and say, Look at what I can eat, and what a relief that I can eat this and be sober and sane and happy. Because one of the things I've always said is I didn't come in here to be miserable, awful, and terrible. I came in here to be happy, joyous, and free. And actually, when you look at the promises, Every one of them has come true. It's, it's a miracle. It truly, truly is. But without a sponsor, without that discipline, I never could have made it. Ever. And without sponsoring, because I learned so much from sponsoring, 
I learned, one of the biggest things that I learned was that if a person is really, really difficult and it threatens my sobriety, I can let the person go. Because anything that threatens my sobriety, I have to change. I have to do something about it. I'm not here to cure anybody. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not, I'm just a compulsive eater. And if we have problems, I go to the big book. So that's where I tell people to go or the 12 and 12 or some of the other books that are available. I'm just a compulsive eater. I'm not I'm Mr. Fix-It. That's what you're on. And, uh, and I'm so blessed that I know that because I was Mr. Fix-It when I was eating. I could tell you anything that you did wrong and how to fix it. Today, that's not my job. My job is to stay sane and sober and grateful. So grateful for this program. Every minute of every day I'm grateful. Because this has given me a life I never had before. So thanks. Thank you so much, Edie. And next, our final speaker is Melissa C. Hi. Melissa, would you like five minutes? You know what? I'm going to set my timer. And, you got um, Yeah. So, because I, otherwise, if I don't see you, I'll, yeah. So, all right. I'm going to set it starting now. All right. So, hi, my name is Melissa C. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I live in the Hudson Valley in New York. Um, and, uh, you know, a real brief, I'm going to do a brief account of my story because I really want to zone in on the topic for me of sponsorship because um, it's so it's so near and dear to my heart. Um, but my story is um, I'm pretty certain I was born a compulsive overeater. Um, I was always um, owned by food, by food and weight and um, diets. Um, it obsessed me. It, it ruled it ruled my life from the time I was a very little girl. Um, I knew that I ate in a way that was different from my siblings, and I ate in a way um, that was harmful to myself. And so I suffered from morbid obesity um, and lots of restricting in between and some a little exercise bulimia thrown in every now and then for good measure, you know. Um, and at my um, top weight, um, at 40 years of age, I was over 300 pounds, and my blood pressure was dangerously high. But I had come to Overeaters Anonymous years earlier in my early 20s. And um, interestingly enough, I had worked, it was the How program, that was my first introduction to Overeaters Anonymous, and I found out about an allergy of the body. And I guess I wasn't ready for the whole for all of it because, and I was young enough that I could take the information of having an allergy and apply that to my life with doing little else. And so I know that I received a big book in that meeting. I remember, but I remember putting it in the drawer because I didn't see the diet in it. 
And I really didn't do assignments to, I did them, I guess, enough to get by. Um, and, but I, but I worshiped a food clan. That was my God. That was my higher power. And I did little else. And for me, because I was young enough, um, and the disease hadn't progressed to where it did, it worked until it didn't work. And I had lost a tremendous amount of weight on that food plan in a very short amount of time. Um, and then the day came when I, um, the insanity came right back up and I thought, well, Hey, I'm normal. I'm a young married woman. Now I got all the markings of what looks like a normal life and I ate and, you know, because I'm a compulsive overeater, it was like, I never lost a moment's time of abstinence within a very short amount of time. I was way back up and that continued for years and years and years, but the seed was planted. There was something in me that I always knew about the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. Eventually, I did come back. Thank God I came back and, um, and I got recovered. You know, it, it, um, I got recovered. I, I, um, I've been relieved of over 160 pounds. I've lived in a normal size body. Um, food does not own me anymore. I don't care. It's very, it's quiet. I probably eat just like that gray sheet that I got years and years and years ago because it seems to have worked for me. My food plan is probably really close to that. Um, and I, I, I um, practice a very disciplined, structured program, and that's what works for me. And so, therefore, that's what I have to offer, right? That we, the experience is what we give to others. So I want to talk about um, sponsorship, and I want to, and I love the big book, and I'm so glad that the two ladies that went before me mentioned, both of you mentioned the power of the big book. And for me, that is where my recovery lies. That is where I find out exactly not only what I have, but exactly what I have to do about it. So in Dr. Bob's nightmare, he says, I spent a great deal of time passing on what I learned to others who want it and need it badly, and I do it for four reasons. One, it's a sense of duty. Two, it is a pleasure. Three, because in so doing, I'm paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. So it is my duty. I believe it is my duty as um, someone who's recovered. How can I live with myself if I didn't help another person? My life was saved by this, and I know that it saved me from the gates of death. Um, so I do it, right? And I also, because it's a pleasure, it's become a true joy. It's a calling. Um, I do it to repay the person and for me, people who helped us. I've been helped by so many beautiful women in these rooms, um, mainly women. I mean, men as well. I've learned from their experience, but my sponsors have all been women and that works best for me. Um, and so I do it to repay those people that that gave this to me and because it keeps me sober, because it keeps me abstinent and recovered. Um, you know, in the doctor's opinion, it says that as part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conception to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others 
this has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship and that this man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. So this is how I became restored to sanity and it's how I remain restored to sanity. And as a sponsor, I tell my potential sponsee from the very first serious conversation we have where it looks like we might be doing some work together that they have to agree that if they get free, they will help others. It's not optional. It, we, we are a 12-step program of recovery. We are not an 11-step program of recovery. And I impress this upon them because that's my direction. You know, there's no point unless we pay it forward. You know, I, I have to think, why would God bother to, fr- bother to free me? You know, it's not so I can wear smaller clothes. It is, that is not the reason why God set me free. It's so that I can help someone else, that someone else can then be set free, and then they in turn can set the other person, help the other person get set free. So, you know, the doctor's opinion also talks that a man's, um, that we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who's very jittery or be thugged, and that more often than not, it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he's approached, that he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. So, you know, it it talks about hospitalization, and it doesn't say leave the person alone so that they can get sober in isolation, right? It says hospitalization is a good idea. And so what if you don't go into treatment? What if you don't go into a treatment center? What can we do for people then? You know, I wasn't put in the hospital. And people that I sponsor, most of them don't go into treatment. Um, but I believe that the job of a sponsor is to help the sponsee get assistance in getting clean. And that's the first work that I do with someone. It's, it's creating our own sense of a hospital together. What is their hospital going to be looking like so that they can get cleared out, so that we can start applying the steps to someone who's not being dragged around by their cravings, right? So, you know, when I say my early work with a sponsee is we remove all distractions that may tempt you. You know, um, if you're in the hospital, I tell someone, you're not going on vacation, you know, because you're in early treatment. And you're not going to go out for dinner in early treatment, you know, or make big life-changing decisions. And, um you know, and, and if going food shopping is too enticing, well, then um, don't go, right? If it's too tempting for you in early recovery, then don't go. Put, give someone else the job. Order your food online, right? Have it delivered. I think also as a sponsor, something I've done very frequently with sponsees is FaceTime me from the store, and I will walk up and down the aisle with you, helping you make decisions that are sober, you know, um, and and I love when sponsees have taken me up on it. I know they mean business, you know, and then I'm thrilled to devote all my time to them. Um, you know, this removal of all distractions, it's not the solution for the long haul because those are human powers, right? Those are human measures and they fail. Um, but we need a starting spot. We need something to get the message in there. And um, and we're told that this way, the newcomer has a better chance 
of understanding what we have to offer. And I want better chances as a sponsor. I'm going to invest a ton of time to help my sponsee, and I want them to have the intention of, of seeking a treatment that has the best chance of working. Um, you know, it, it, um, it's, it also says that my attempt to pass this on plays a vital part in my recovery, that he might be helping me more than I'm helping him, and that I make it plain that he's under no obligation. You know, I only hope that he will try to help another if he escapes his difficulties. And, and then suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear he's not under pressure, that he doesn't need to see you again. And don't get offended if he wants to call it off. He's helped you more than you've helped him. So oftentimes, the beginning of working with someone, they begin and then they stop. That, that, this is a brutal disease. And, you know, I've heard it's like dancing with the gorilla. The gorilla tells you when it's done dancing, not you. And when people are still in the throes of the food, oftentimes they think they've changed their mind. And they haven't changed their mind. They just don't have a mind clear enough to make decisions. They're still owned by the food. And they get pulled back out again. And my work as the sponsor is let them go. Let them go. But be kind. Be be like the, the landing pad, I was told recently, that they can come back and then know that they've got a safe place to land again with you. That was said but it was by some very wise person to me yesterday. Um, you know, in, in Bill's story, when Evie first came and carried the message to him, it said, fresh, skinned, and glowing. This is how Evie was described. He had the starry-eyed look. He did no ranting. The results were self-evident that this worked. And so, you know, I say to somebody who's going to be a sponsor, you know, look like you've got a message, you know, I, I think. And if you're looking for a sponsor, look for someone who has a message. Look for people whose eyes are alight. Look for people who look happy, sane, joyous in their release. Right, we're not meant to be suffering in sobriety. That is not, that's not a message of depth and weight. That's a message of diet, of more control. Um, you know, the other thing that I love is that all throughout Bill's story, he makes a point of referring to Ebby as my friend. You know, and it says, despite the living example of my friend, my friend promised to me that when these things were done, I would enter a new relationship with my creator. You know, and it also says in the chapter, Working with Others, that if your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you may have perhaps made a friend. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that, he want, that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help him. So, yes, you know, they were friends and we're supposed to be friendly. You know, we don't, I don't believe that we need to teach and guide someone from a position of superiority. I'm not better, you know, because I've been set free, because someone has, um, you know, received the gift of food sobriety and recovery, we're not superior, right? We're still, we're, we're shoulder to shoulder, just the same. You know, and I, I cringe. I really cringe when I hear people say, I'm not your friend, I'm your sponsor. You know, and, and 
I think we're talking about sick people, not criminals. And I don't think we have to be afraid to be friendly. You know, I found out that my problem was I had a bad definition of friendship. I thought friends meant that they co-sign my crap, that they agree with me no matter what. And what I found out is that's not true. A true friend has my back and tells me the truth and points me in the right direction, guides me from a place of love, but genuine um, has the big picture at mind and not just saying what they think I want to hear so that I like them, right? You know, um, there's so much here that I want to say. Um, um, you know, and, and one of the things that um, it says that um, our desire is to be helpful. We have no fees to pay no access to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are the conditions we find most effective. So what facts am I armed with then, right? What is facts that anybody who's ready to sponsor is armed with? Facts about yourself, right? Not facts about what page you found a certain passage on, right? That's great, you know, if you know exactly where to locate something in the big book. That might, that's helpful, but it's not the essential component for being a sponsor. And I often find people are afraid to sponsor because they say, well, I don't know the book as well as you, or I don't know this as well as you. But you know everything about your experience with the disease and how you've gotten free. And that's where you start from. You know, if, if you're, if it's an interest to develop your understanding of the big book, and it's helpful, then I think God will help you perfect your knowledge, right? And I've learned more and more about the book with each person I've worked with, you know. Um, and when I don't know the answer, I say, gee, I don't know the answer. Let's, let you know, let's bring this to God. Bring this to your higher power. I think, you know, as a sponsor, um, my job is not to be the higher power. I think it's like my job is to broker a relationship between the newcomer and their higher power. I almost feel like sometimes I'm the matchmaker. It's like I'm going to introduce them to the God of their understanding that they haven't met yet. Through the work of the program, they're going to have a relationship with a power. And as much as possible, I don't pretend to know the answers. When someone comes to me with a question, even if I think I know the answers, because I'm a know-it-all, and I really think I know everything, um, I'm often having to say, wait, wait, let's take this to God. Let's take this to your higher power. Um, and, and if I, you know, and if we still can't come up with some sort of an answer, let's, let's pray on it. Let's pause and hesitate. Let's bring it maybe off, you know, and I think sponsors have sponsors, have sponsors, have sponsors. So when I am stuck, with the sponsee question, I don't believe it's a breach in anonymity if I ask my sponsor to help me because my intention, my heart is to be useful. It's not to be a gossip monger. It's not to throw around information. And if, and if I need to not share the name, then I don't, but I might ask my sponsor for some, what does she think? And, and that has been a great wealth of information for me. And that's something that I, do with my sponsees as well as they work with others, you know, they're, they're told, um, ask me, you know, we can, we can work on this together. So we're never alone. 
And I found out through this program, um, I kept cursing this disease for years and years and years. Not, I can't get this, I can't get this, I can't get this, I can't get this, I, I can't get this alone. You know, but I was never meant to get it alone. That, that, of course I couldn't get it alone. That's not what God's intention was. It was to get me connected with other human beings, you know, to break my bond, my relationship I had with food, and to form a bond with people, right? To form a genuine bond with people. I, there is like so much here that I, that I, I'm not even getting at. But what I, I wanted to say is that, um, I don't negotiate when I'm sponsoring someone. And um, and it doesn't mean I'm cruel and it doesn't mean I'm harsh. It means I only have my set of experiences. And so I can't negotiate because I don't have another set of experiences. And I, when I'm pressed and someone might say, you know, or they start arguing and they want to negotiate and they want to kind of, I just let them. I get quiet and I let them say what they have to say. And then I very quietly say, it sounds like you know exactly what you need, and it doesn't sound like I'm the person that can help you. And when they say, well, do you mean that I can't get recovered if I don't do X, Y, Z? I always say, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Only God knows, right? You just can't get recovered with me because I only have my experience. And if I leave it in a calm, nice, loving manner, if and when they ever decide that I have a set of experiences that they want and need, they can come back to me. And I'm always happy to work with them on there. So I just, um, it's such an honor to be able to do this. And I know we're out of time, but I just, if I could just take like this short little bit, I just want to read these. This is, this is a poem and it's from the, um, it's from Sam Shoemaker, who is one of like the, you know, the forefront. It's, it's who, um, you know, it's who Bill and Bob and all them uh, listened to. Right. And he came from the Oxford group, which is our forefathers, the forefathers to the 12 steps. He's this is a poem by him. It's called I Stand at the Door. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. 
nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints, go all the way in. Go way down in the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. It is a vast roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in, sometimes venture in a little farther, but my place seems closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. There's another reason why I stand there. Some people get partway in and become afraid, lest God and the zeal of his house devour them. For God is so very great and asks all of us. And these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia and want to get out. Let me get out, they cry. And the people way inside only terrify them more. Somebody must be by the door to tell them that they are spoiled. For the old life, they have seen too much. One taste of God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must be waiting for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in to tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in do not see how near these are. To leaving, preoccupied with the wonder of it all, somebody must watch for those who have entered the door but would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them. And remember, they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for them, for me, more important for me, one of them, two of them, 10 of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait. For those who seek it, I had rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. And with that, I will pass. Thank you all panelists. Please note, this meeting is being recorded, and by speaking during this meeting, you are giving permission to have your voice on this recording. There is no sharing at this meeting. Instead, we ask questions of the speakers. Also, please remember that the opinions of the speakers are their own and do not reflect OA as a whole. The meeting is now open for questions. To do so, you may raise your hand, or if you do not wish to have your voice recorded, you may ask a question in chat and it will be read by the moderator. We are using the chat as the we care list, so please feel free to leave your information there. 
Also, please state if you're an available sponsor or available just for outreach for those who are looking for sponsors or fellowship. You can ask questions of one or all three. You could just make a general question, whatever you want. I'd like to ask a question if I could. <clears throat> Thank you to all three of our panelists today. This was amazing. Thank you so much for your service and for everything that you shared. Um, I wanted to know when you when you start, all three of you, if you don't mind, when you start with a new sponsee, what like what is in the first conversation and what are what is the the way that it starts and then is there a point at which it transitions and changes at the end of the steps sort of if that's not too much thank you hi amy i'm tony still recovering um for me it's you know i ask about their desire because the only requirement for this is a desire to stop eating compulsively and a lot of my people weren't able to do that in the first few months so we would talk about that we would <clears throat> visit the steps um look at the big book look at the you know read the stories uh the oa stories i always um advise going to as many meetings as you can in the early days, we used to say go to open AA meetings just to hear the 12 steps. Um, but that's kind of what I do. Thanks. I don't, Edie, do you want to unmute and answer or? I thought I was. Okay. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Okay. One of the things that I ha I ask my people to do right away is to write a history of their compulsive eating. When I first uh, started doing the HOW program, my sponsor said, write a history. So I wrote a history, you know. I have two brothers, a sister, and she said, no, 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 no. I want a history of your relationship with food. And for me, this was so, because I'd never really looked at it, you know, how, how big a part food played in my life. And so this starts for me, for that my sponsees, starts them off, taking a look at exactly what's been happening in their life and how much food has taken up their time. And again, we're, we're in the big book. We have to do writings and, you know, you have to call your sponsor. You have to make three phone calls. But for me, one of the first things is doing the history of their compulsive eating. Thanks. Hi. 
Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. So, you know, when I, when, um, when I first speak to someone, um, I spend a little time like the getting to know you kind of thing. I want to find out, um, are they here for a diet, you know, or are they, you know, what, what are they here for? And I, and for me, um, it's, it's important because, um, I want to know if I have an experience that can be useful to them. You know, I found that there's certain, um, you know, this disease is, um, people that have this disease may have anorexia, they may have bulimia, they may be, you know, uh, have morbid obesity. I tend to find, for me, I have a better, um, a better chance of being helpful to someone when our disease seems to run along the same line. I, I, I can kind of, I know the tricks, you know, I know the lingo a little bit. And so it's the beginning is really just to get to know you, period. I spend some time listening to them, really listening, asking like, so, you know, what, what, what's going on with you? Why are you here? Why now? You know, why do you, you know, what, what's, what's going on is how is food um, hurting you, right? How are you having this problem with food? What's it look like? And then I begin, uh, I really follow the directions in the book. It says, Talk about yourself. Talk about the experience with your disease. And I don't diagnose them. I don't tell them they're a compulsive overeater. I don't tell them they're an addict. I tell them I am. And I tell them my story. And I, I, I kind of tell them all the things I've done with food, all my experiences I've had with food. And I usually do that um, through the doctor's opinion. If it sounds like they're interested in working with me, I make an appointment. And I usually do it in two Two one-hour sessions, right? It's a lot of time. We make an appointment and we go through the doctor's opinion together. And it's me talking. It's basically me talking and I'm spelling out what this disease is and how it looks in my life and, and, and how it's like that it's an obsession of the, you know, it's an allergy of the body and an obsession of a mind and it's something that I could not break on my own. And by the end of that conversation, it's either they're nodding, oh, my gosh, that's me, that's me, that's me. Or a couple of times I've had someone say, wow, I feel really bad for you. <laughs> and in which case, there's nothing I can do for them because they don't, they might be needing a diet and I'm not a diet, you know. Um, and then if they seem like they mean business, I ask them a couple of questions, right? Here's the questions. Do you think you're a compulsive overeater? And are you desperate? Right? And then it's, are you willing to go to any length for victory over food? And if they can say yes to those three things, then, I, then, we, can, then we can get started. Um, and yes, over time, the relationship with the sponsor and sponsee has to change because my goal is to get them recovered so that they can shine the light for someone else. Um, so it start it starts changing. Um, thanks. Thank you. We have a question here in chat that says, um, "How do you recommend sponsees deal with the discontent and irritability while they're in early abstinence and the step work?" Asking for a friend. I'm still Tony. This one cracked me up because I relate so much. Um, I was 
so angry when I first put down the food. I had put down alcohol um, a couple of months before, but I picked up food. I picked up food, and, you know, before when I ever stopped drinking alcohol, I could lose weight, like, simple. You know, any diet out there was was doable for me. This time, I couldn't do it, and I was terrified. So when I found OA and, you know, you told me to put down the food – I got real angry and I had three little kids and a husband and um, a sponsor who was telling me, you know, you, you want to try to just eat 1200 calories a day. And I was like, you don't understand what I've been eating. I think I should do that a little gentler. And she, well, she wasn't having it. So <clears throat> she would kind of laugh at me and say, you know, Tony, anger is the bottom line. That when you're angry and miserable, there's no place else to go except up. And, you know, back then, all that did was make me angrier. I didn't know what she meant. But I finally came out of that anger phase and into, oh, my God, I can survive on a 1,000 calories a day. Oh, my God, I'm not going to die from starvation oh, my God, I'm not angry today. You know, that was, like, incredible because I just thought that, you know, I came from a family of negativity. I was just going to be this negative ball of rage forever, and that's not what happened. So I think hang on to your seat. Go to as many meetings as possible. Whenever anybody would ask for a problem or a topic, I would raise my hand, I think, for the first year and say, I need to hear about anger. And, you know, everybody would go to um, road rage, which helped. But I wanted to hear about, you know, yelling and screaming at your family because you can't, you're not ready to grow up. That's how it worked for me. I was, I tried and worked and pleaded with God and got through it without the food. Thanks. Hello, Didi. And now, can you hear me? <laughs> um, one of the things that, again, I had mentioned this earlier, that I decided to do was to take to watch my withdrawal from food, because so much of it had been. I, I mean, I had dieted all my life, and I didn't want this to be a diet. I wanted to see that I was withdrawing from food and I would get angry and my sponsor remember one time I called her up and I said oh and she said okay you have three minutes to sit on the pity pot and then you're off and no more of that so okay and then she said then we're going to get into gratitude okay and as the year went on what every time I would get into a negative spot, it was write a gratitude list of everything you're grateful for. And the longer I was sober, the more grateful I was, the longer the list got. And that for me was a really telling thing that because it had always been poor me. And now it was, I am so lucky. 
I am so grateful that I even have this program. It was tough going through withdrawal, but I knew I needed to do it. And when I came out of it, the first three steps actually made sense. One of the things I found was when I was eating, I used to think, oh, no, God's nuts. God was talking a lot. I couldn't hear a thing. That food was stuffed right in my ears. When I got sober, I could actually hear what my higher power was saying. And that, for me, was a huge thing, that it wasn't just this one-way conversation of me telling my higher power what to do, that all of a sudden, now it was, I'm supposed to be listening. I'm supposed to be doing readings. I'm supposed to be quiet. I'm supposed to take direction. And so... One of the things that I had to do, again, is is absolutely look at what was happening to me, looking at the changes and looking at the difficulties and looking at that I could get over them. And it was only through program. I mean, truly, without program, I would have no life. And I could quite possibly be dead. Because I can remember before coming into program, driving down the road, I make two kids in the back seat. And I thought, you know, if I drove into that tree, I'd never have to diet again. And it wasn't until I came to program that I thought, uh, normal people don't think that way. I thought that was a perfectly normal thought. It's the clarity that I needed, that I knew I needed. And it was only through putting down the things that I was allergic to. But again, one of the things that, that I really did was I watched what happened to the changes in me as I was going along. And that was a real blessing because it's, it was kind of like, and I'd say, oh, I can remember at nine months abstinent, I said, oh, that was easy. And then I thought, what are you insane? That wasn't easy. That was hard work. But how quickly we forget. And so I need to remember by paying attention. Thanks. Hi. Okay. So, um, you know, one of the things I would say to someone when they, uh, a sponsee, when they're really um, restless, irritable, discontent, um, you know, feeling anger, feeling feelings, um, you know, I would say like, yeah, welcome to the human race. Welcome to having a living experience because um, food, you know, it was, it's, it numbed me. It, it's, it's an anesthetic. You know, I would also point them out that circumstances is not why we eat. It's not because my dog made a mess on the, on the carpet, right? Because if that were the case, then when life was going great, why did I eat then too? And so those are the conversations that I would that I would have with the sponsee who's really uncomfortable, who's, you know, feeling all these feelings. And and we would talk about them. I mean, I talk about them with them. I would say, like, that's early recovery. It's because you haven't felt these things maybe ever. And for me, it almost felt like I was at a buffet, overwhelmed by, oh my God, this is anger. Oh my God, now I'm feeling sad. It was like, and I didn't, I never grew up. I didn't know how 
to have a feeling and sit with a feeling. Um, you know, what I also found out was that there is a power that is right by me through those feelings that I don't have to, I don't have to suffer in my emotion. I can actually experience it like, like a cloud passing over me. You know, it actually passes over. If you don't avoid it, it actually can end, you know, it's when you avoid it, it makes it worse. So, you know, I would have a conversation with them. What exactly is it that's upsetting you? Let's talk about this. You know, the other thing is um, we would move through the steps as quickly, as intensively as possible, because what I need is I need a way to live sober. You know, if I otherwise Otherwise, every diet I would have worked on would have worked forever, you know, because I, I could put the food down. I couldn't keep it down because I had a living problem. And now I need a living solution. And that is what I got through the steps. So if someone was restless, irritable, and discontent, I would reassure them that, yep, you're a human being having a human living experience. Feelings will not kill you. Every human being has a feeling. Sometimes, sometimes they're an indicator that action is required. And sometimes they're just a feeling and nothing more. And, um, and I would move them as quickly as possible to step two. Because step two is where we begin to get a relationship with a power. We have, you know, this idea that a power greater than us can restore us to sanity. And so prayer, whether they believe it or not, becomes an essential component right from the start. And it works even if you don't believe it. That's the incredible thing, that prayer actually works even if you don't believe it. And that's what I tell the sponsee, do it. It's okay if you don't believe it, do it anyway. Um, thanks. Thank you, Melissa. We're going to alternate between people raising their hands and questions we get in chat. So now I'm going to call on Kira. Kira, would you please unmute and ask your question? Thank you. Sure. Hi, I'm Kira. Really grateful for everyone who shared. Um, my question, I hope it's dissimilar to the first question that was asked, is what exactly is meant by sponsoring through the big book. I know I've heard it's just some just say sponsoring is sponsoring through the big book. I wasn't sponsored through the big book and I'm just going deeply into it now. And I'm not at a place that I can just say here a problem and reference like page 47, paragraph three. I want to know how often are you reading it together? Are you just referencing it? That's my question. Thank you. Hi, Kara and everybody. I'm still Tony. Good question. Um, in the beginning, when, when I first came in, the big book was not used a lot in OA. And, and I included, a lot of people were offended by it because, oh, we're not alcoholics. And that was the attitude. Um, I think that's why my second sponsor wanted me to go to AA so badly. She wanted me to read that book. And by the time I got to AA, I was cleared up enough that I, and I started reading the book going, oh my God, it's all here. Um, but I always <clears throat> take people through the step book. I use the OA step book. Um, and then we go into the big book. They say that um, uh, going through the steps in the big book is those first 164 pages and you know, you can kind of tell which is step one, two, three, four. 
and that's what I do after I go through the step book now. So thank you. Hello. Um, for me, it's we just start at page one, and or even before page one. Got to read everything. It's it's a beginning. It's an opening, and we go through the big book. And one of the things that I say is, this is not a race. You don't have to do a chapter a day. Read. If something hits you, stop and write about it. And that's what their writing will be that they'll read to me the next day is about the big book. If there's, they can do a line a day. I don't care how long it takes. But just to get into the readings of the big book. As you're reading the big book, of course, it talks about the steps. And we start with that. And then we go to the 12 and 12. To me, it, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like, for me, it is opening the book to recovery. And so I want the people to get used to using the big book, for one thing. But also, it has all the answers. You know, it talks about how tough it is to give up alcohol and whatever. And it is tough to give up food. It's not an easy thing. And one of the things is, because I've always said this, I think, of course, we have to be grandiose about this, that, that compulsive eating is the bottom line for addictions. Because we, unlike any other addiction, have to face our substance three times a day. And therefore, for me, you really have to be working your program in order to make it through. At least I do. And it's because it's so tough, we need to know where to go for the answers. And for me, the answers are in the big book in the 12 and 12. So that's really why I start my people with that. Thanks. Hey, Kara. Thank you, Fred. That's a great question. Um, so I start in the beginning. The first thing I do with someone is read the doctor's opinion together to see if, in fact, um, they identify and if it sounds like um, they have this. And the doctor's opinion ends with um, you might remain, you know, to scoff or stay to pray. And that's sort of what I say to the person. If, if, if you come to scoff, if you come to like sort of like, hmm, this isn't true, this isn't true, you can, you can still actually study the big book together. And you might wind up praying as you're doing it. You might remain to pray. So, um, what I do is I have a series of questions and readings that we do that are through the big book. We read, and it's very, um, I actually, I got it from someone who I just adore him. It's Don C. He's an incredible, if you've, if you've never heard anything from him, if you've never read anything that he's done, I strongly recommend it. Um, he's just, um, for me, he's just, I know we're not supposed to people worship, but he's someone pretty close for me. He's on the pedestal. Um, and, um, so I used his material. It was something that I did uh, with the study with him, and I got a lot out of it. And it, 
it has you reading the big book and answering questions from it. Um, so that you're really forced to dig in there, you know, to really not just read it as a novel, but to study it as a textbook. And I read it with my sponsees, both with and some I'll have them just do independently and certain pieces that I think um, are worth really spending time and exploring and discussing together, I discuss. And depending on the sponsee and their um, comfort level with the book, some people say that they're okay really reading it independently and they'll do the assignments and then we, but we talk just, we talk about every day for a while. I talk every day. Um, and some, it's that time we really read together if they really, um, and I kind of leave it up to them. What do they think would be most helpful? I also use the AA 12 and 12. I really like the AA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12. Um, I use all three. Um, I would suggest if you're looking to sponsor someone through the big book, you know, I'm more than happy. I'll, it's, it's Don C's material. It's, it's on the web, but I'm, I'll be happy to, to share it and get it, get it to you. Um, but I also know that there's other, I've, I've used other sources also. There's some wonderful big book studies that if you go online and look up, um, working the steps through the big book, they'll, i used i there's another resource i like that's like uh it was meant to be done in 12 hours which i don't know how you could do that but god bless them they can but there are pieces of that guide that i love too so i might infuse it um um along the way but it's basically reading the first 164 pages um yeah hope that helps Lori, do you have a question from chat? Um, sure. So we have a question. Um, let's see. If somebody, okay, so uh, we have a question from chat. They say, I'm looking for a sponsor, and I'm wondering if it's important to find a sponsor uh, that is also bulimic. Hmm. Still, Tony, um, I have had success with bulimics. I have not had great success with anorexics. Uh, one of my first sponsees was a, a bulimic, and I, I had never even heard about it. And <clears throat> interestingly, I was, I was telling my dad anonymously about this woman one time, this friend of mine, and what she did with, with food, and he said, his nickname for me was Annie. Annie, your grandmother did that. And I was like, oh, what? And he said, yeah, she was bulimic. You don't know what that is? And I said, I really had no idea. Um, so for me, I could take my grandmother, who was as normal as anybody, and look at the disease of bulimia and think, you're just like me. You know, it's just like me. Um <clears throat> I think the steps are meant for all of us, no matter what. So I don't know if that helps. Thanks. Um, I have sponsored both. The, I, the gal who was anorexic that I sponsored, I could actually understand how she felt. Because I remember 
Oh, long ago. They they had a movie about a ballerina who had to get thinner and thinner and thinner. And she'd look in the mirror and she would see this fat person. And I remembered one time when I was at my thinnest before I came into OA. And I had looked in the mirror and I said, mm, maybe just five more pounds. And it wasn't until I came into OA that I discovered that I equated thinness with happiness. And since I wasn't happy yet, I must not be thin enough. But I could see how the anorexic could look in the mirror and see a person side that was fat. And so, but I think that this gal that I was sponsoring, I think she really needed someone who was anorexic, who could discuss certain stages of it and whatever. Um, for bulimics, again, it's who wants to stay and recover. Because I've had a fair amount of people who have kind of wandered off. And it's heartbreaking, but I, I can't fix anybody. So, but the bulimia, I could see if I had not come to OA, I could have gotten into that. I just didn't like, kind of like the idea of it. But to be thin, what would we do? Anything, right? So, I would sponsor anyone. If it, if it wasn't working, then I would say maybe you want to find, you know. Thank you, Edie. Melissa, do you want to speak to that? Sure. So, um, yeah, bulimic binge. And, um, and so I have a lot of experience with binging. I kind of understand the binge. Um, and, um, I have not had as much success with anorexics, but I hate the idea of saying that here to make an anorexic feel like they don't belong because they absolutely do belong. And I have wonderful, um, you know, thank God I have a fellowship. Like we're promised we're going to get the fellowship we craved. So I have like some really close like sisters in this program whose experiences with anorexia. And we can certainly discuss lots of aspects of, of the 12 steps of living as an addict together. Um, and when I come across someone who's anorexic, who's looking for help, um, because I have a great network of people, I might recommend they call one of those other folks. Um, you know, that way I'm not leaving somebody um, without their hand on the door. You know, we, want, we don't want anybody. And I think that's sometimes I've heard that anorexic experience a feeling that they don't even belong here. And that must be horrible. You know, that that's certainly, um, I don't think we should ever... Um, lead anybody to, to, to believe that. And, and so it also tells me that I, I can't even say as 100% certain, no, I'll never sponsor an anorexic because my mind is supposed to be open, right? So I can't say necessarily no. Um, I just have had better success with people who have um, suffered probably more with morbid obesity or bulimia. Um, thanks.
thank you again to all of our panelists. Anna D, I see that your hand is raised. Would you like to unmute and ask your question? Yes, thank you. Uh, my question is for um, all three. Uh, my, I, um, I'm in another program that where you abstain from that substance. I'm an AA, so I have been sober from alcohol for five years. My question is, how do you, how do you, how is um, abstinence or, or sobriety um, defined in Overeaters Anonymous? Thank you. That's my question. Hi, Anna and everybody. Great question. Um, I too am in both programs and it's so easy to just put down the alcohol. It, that was, well, it wasn't easy. I'm not, it, but it's a lot easier than the food. Um, <clears throat> the food my sponsor told me from day one is your abstinence is following a food plan. And, you know, I didn't even know what a food plan, I thought it was a diet. And she said, no, 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 it's a plan for life. It's something that you have to be comfortable with doing for the rest of your life one day at a time. And I think I shared that she handed me um, the diabetic diet, and it just had a list of all the food groups. And then on the back of it, it had, like, sample menus of things that I could try. And I would – and she had the a copy of the sheet, so when I sent her my food, she knew that – you know, I was sending an abstinent food plan. I hope that helps. Thanks. Thank you, Tony. Edie or Melissa, would you like to unmute and share uh, answer? Edie, you're muted, sorry. Okay. Um... When I first went into the HOW program, because it was an absolute program, and there weren't too many people in the program that were sober. And so I started going to AA meetings, simply because they have an absolute. You can't drink. The end. And I needed that structure of knowing that there were absolutes, because there were for me. You know, sugar, white flour, a lot of different things. I can't eat oranges because I'm too, they're too sugar-intensive for me. They're absolutes for me, and that's okay. But I did see that if I was going to make this work, because I had to deal with my substance three times a day, I really had to work the program every single day. And I needed to call my sponsor every day. And I needed to do a reading and a writing every day. Because I had to face the things. I mean, I went and threw out all the stuff that I couldn't eat. And, and what was a big surprise to me was that nobody else in the family missed it. So, oh, my gosh, I guess I must have been eating it. And I, I went according to AA. I said, you know, if I were an alcoholic, would I say, oh, you can keep a few bottles in the house just in case? No, I wouldn't. 
I would say, get rid of that stuff. What are you doing? And I had to do the same thing for me for the food. It had to be that serious. Because for dieting for so long, it wasn't that serious. Ah, let's get another diet. Let's, we'll, we'll try this, we'll try that. I needed to make this serious business. That I was addicted to food and that I needed to get sober. And so I had to get rid of the stuff in the house. And if the kids wanted something, they could go out and get it themselves. It had to be as serious as an alcoholic takes alcohol. And that's really what got me through that first year, was just seeing this is not a joke. And it's not a food problem. It was a food addiction. And it was a food allergy. And I couldn't, I couldn't take it lightly or I wouldn't do the work that I needed to do. So I don't know if that helps. Hope so. Hi. Um, yeah, I love, I love the, the question about what is abstinence. You know, we have a definition. Abstinence is refraining from um, compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight, right? That's according to the definition in Overeaters Anonymous. And, um, and I also loved that I hear people talk about alcoholic foods. And that, that really became my truth, too, that I knew that there were certain foods that I have no ability to moderate or control or eat within a food plan um, because I have an allergy to them. And if I eat them, all bets are off. They, they begin to start calling the shots for me. And so um, that is, I think, a very important work between the sponsor and the sponsee to help the sponsee figure out exactly what their allergic foods are. And, and we can, you know, I, I offer some suggestions to people. What I found are my alcoholic foods. And I, and I also have discovered, um, you know, that there are some ways to help you identify them. And for me, one of the ways is an early entry way is take a look at the serving size of this particular food, if I can measure out that serving size and not, and not feel any which way about it, have peace, calm, you know, contentment, um, it might not be. It might be, but it might not be. Um, certainly, if I measure out a food and, and the first thing I think is there is no way this is enough for me, chances are it's an alcoholic food for me. You know, I, I also, um, any food that uh, if I know it's in the house and I'm out, am I racing home to get it? You know, if it's in the house and I'm alone, is that the thing I go to? And then what I had to do is um, I had to look at what did many of those foods have in common and, yeah, there were certain substances that many of those foods have. But um, I've also found that I have alcoholic food behaviors. And so I need really tight parameters around my meals. I also need, I need to weigh and measure. And I also need to eat, um, I love it was said, at the table. 
for me, if I am eating as a form of entertainment, it's now reached a dangerous um, place because I am, I am the real deal compulsive overeater. I cannot use food for any other purpose other than nutrition. So I can't eat um, as entertainment. I don't eat in front of the TV. Um, I don't eat in front of the computer. I don't eat, you know, I don't eat in the movies. I, I eat at my table. I eat in a chair at my table. And I have to have a beginning to my meal and I have to have an end to my meal. Um, you know, if I can eat carrots, it does not mean that I can eat carrots at 11 o'clock at night. For me, I, I needed really early on a, a time that dinner had to be done by um, because I could manipulate, you know, times that I ate. You know, because I'm an addict, I, I want an escape clause. So I could do stupid things like not eat all day and then try to eat my three meals, like one big meal, you know, at 8 o'clock at night. That's a binge, right? Um, so I, need, I needed meal times. Um, and my, one of my early sponsors would say to me after dinner, kitchen's closed, sweetie. And that, that became like my early abstinence too. Like after dinner, that is it. Um, yeah, but that's the work between you and I think you and your sponsor. It's a good place to start with a sponsor. Thanks. I'll pass. Thanks, everyone. Does anyone else want to ask a question of our panelists? If you'd like to ask it anonymously, you can do so in chat and we'll read it out. If we don't have any more questions, maybe we could give each of our panelists like two minutes up for final thoughts. I'll, I'll pause again to see if anybody wants to jump in with a question though. Going once. Oh, I have one in chat here anonymously. Um, question for the panelists. What do you do if someone picks up? What do you do as someone's sponsor if they pick up? Thank you. Still Tony. Um, thankfully, Ebby was a chronic relapser. So he kind of set the stage for all of the future relapsers. I learned early on that relapse is part of recovery for a lot of people. And it that totally changed my mind about it. I've seen how difficult it is for a lot of people to find an abstinence that works for them. And God, it was difficult for me. I, you know, when I first did the diabetic diet thing, I thought, you know, okay, I'm on another diet. But with the steps and the tools um, and sponsor, it became just a way of life. It's, it's so different. You know, the spiritual part of this program is what makes it so and I know we're not unique, but it is, it's a unique part of this journey. Um, hope that helps. Still, Edie, um, 
one of the things that I have them do is think about and write down what happened. Why that particular time? It's interesting because in, in talking about this question, it reminded me years and years ago when how was just starting up, you would, I would sponsor someone and they'd be doing beautifully. And then they would be coming up to, oh, oh, I should be sponsoring. And then they would slip. They, they didn't want to sponsor or they didn't feel that they were ready to sponsor. And so in learning from that, the main thing was it doesn't matter what your time in is for how long you've been abstinent. It's when you feel you're ready to sponsor that nothing should be a threat. Sometimes it's difficult to do stuff, but nothing should be a threat so much of a threat that you feel that you need to eat over it. I believe that every slip is a learning experience. We learn about why and what and, and how we can go forward. It used to be with the diets, oh... I broke my diet. Well, let's see. This is Tuesday. I'll start again next Monday. And then I binge until Monday. But one of the things that I encourage them to do is start right up. Okay, so you had a slip. Now what we're going to do is we're going to start today. It's one day at a time. And that's all we've got. And that's the truth. Because no matter how long you've been in this program, it's one day at a time. Each day I get up, doesn't matter how long I've been in the program, it's the beginning for me. And I have to work my tools, I have to do everything that I have to do in order to stay sober. And today, it's a joy. I mean, at the beginning, it was like grind your teeth. But today, it's a joy because I see what it brings to my life. I have a life. I would have no life without this program. And so I know that another thing that I've really learned in this program is that it is progress, not perfection. So much of the diet mentality is it has to be perfect. The diet has to be perfect. And if it isn't perfect, then we'll start next Monday. To me, we're doing, I remember somebody came and she said, oh, and I ate too much of this. And I said, okay, I want you to start looking at all the stuff you didn't eat. I mean, look at what you didn't eat. That's a miracle. So that it has to be a work in progress. We all are a work in progress. And it is progress, not perfection. And it is, for me, gratitude every minute. Thanks. Hi, Melissa. Um, yeah, so in, in, in the big book, it says um, that um, 
All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we work with him, carefully reviewing what had happened. So it doesn't say that we dropped him, right? Um, because um, fear is not, first of all, fear is not a higher power. Fear is a lower weakness. Fear is an evil corroding thread. So fear can never be the solution. And I remember years ago, my experience was early, early on, many, many years ago. Um, I was told, if you pick up, I will drop you. That was what I was told by somebody. And so when I picked up, I never gave them a chance to drop me. I dropped them. I walked away and stayed away. Um, so fear didn't work. You know, nothing, if you're a real food addict in the throes of your addiction, there is nothing human that's going to keep you in check. Um, but, but picking up is, is an opportunity where we work with the person, not on the person and not for the person, with. So it means that the person who picked up has to be ready to do a lot of work as well. And, um, you know, and the, the problem is that um, sometimes people aren't entirely sure what their abstinence is. And so they got themselves in a food situation that was alcoholic for them and they tried to control their alcohol and they couldn't. Um, I had that experience with a particular seemingly harmless fruit. I found out I can't do it. It does something to me and it doesn't do something to many other people, but for whatever reason, it just did something to me and I could not eat it in a way that wasn't alcoholic. I also found out um, that I was doing look-alike foods. I was manipulating things to look like other things and that became a problem. Um, and so I ate again. You know, another thing that sometimes happens with people is um, they're, um, they're not working the steps intensively. And that's the only thing that can really relieve me from this is a relationship as a result of working the steps. So sometimes it's, they, they kind of laid back and didn't necessarily work as hard. And, and, you know, in the beginning, until we have a sufficient connection, we're relying on willpower. And that's the truth, you know, and willpower is insufficient. But we're also told that willingness is a key that helps unlock the door. And, um, and so I think, if I have a sponsee who's picking up and struggling, I help them. We create, and I, I really wanted to talk about this earlier on. I help them create a list, a willingness list. And this list is all of the things that they are willing to do before that first compulsive bite. And some of them are human. Some of them are real, just seems ridiculous, like brush your teeth like drink three glasses of ice water, like call three people, like get on your knees and pray, whatever it is, right? Prayer is always on this list. Call me, um, do a craft that requires your hands be, you know, clean of food, whatever it is. And they create this willingness list. And when they pick up is usually the time that I say, Let, let's make sure that we get this list down. And um, they take the list they write up their list and they put it everywhere, everywhere where the food is, on the refrigerator, on the cookie jar, on their dashboard, on their, they take a picture of it with their phone and it's on there, you know, and I've had someone say, but it's so embarrassing. I don't want to hang this up. And 
are, well, I always say, are you willing? Because willingness is the key. Like this disease didn't care if I was embarrassed and embarrassment doesn't mean anything. What are you willing to do? And, and very often, you know, when people start exercising that willingness muscle and they work the steps more intensively, they don't pick up again. They really don't, you know, um, when they get real clear about what their alcohol is um, and they're willing, right? We have a plan that works. Thanks. Thank you. I just want to ask the panelists, we have two um, anonymous questions. If the three panelists are okay, if we go slightly over with the, it's five o'clock now. So are you two panelists okay with, if we ask the two more questions? Okay. So we have one question um, that came in anonymously and she wanted to know if, um, Let's see. Now I have to find it, of course. Um, let's see. Uh, she is a bariatric patient, and she wants to know if any of the sponsors have experience with this. Still, Tony. Um, I personally do not have experience with it, but my had the surgery and um, my niece's daughter has had the surgery and I have um, uh, sponsored quite a few women who have had the surgery and to me it's just another tool it's nothing it's it's uh, you know when it first came out when my when my sister first did it, I was very judgmental and very sad for her and very opinionated. <clears throat> but I was having a, a chat with my sponsor on the beach one time, and I said, you know, Linda, if I didn't get this program, I think I would have had that surgery. And I thought she was going to go, oh, my God. And she said, oh, Tony, me too. So you know what? I think it's a, it's a, a beautiful tool for a lot of us. I think um, – a, a bulimic, you have to have a food plan. I think it's, you know, part of me thinks it's easier for you guys. I don't know. But, you know, the steps are there for all of us. The tools are there for all of us. I think, you know, you're totally, totally welcome. Thank you. I'm still Edie. Um, I actually work at, in an operating room where they do this procedure. And for some people, it works wonderfully. The problem is that if you are allergic to certain foods, it's kind of like, I remember um, one time, everybody in the OR went on Weight Watchers. And the first two weeks of Weight Watchers was gray sheep. But the third week, they introduced something that if I ate that, I would have said, farewell, I'll never see you again. And so that's, I think, the difficulty. If, you re if they really are a compulsive eater and if they are uh, allergic to certain foods, I don't care how much of your stomach you take out. You take that in and you're going to get, doo -doo -doo, because it is reacting. You're still allergic. Taking your stomach out does not take the allergy away. And so, but I think many people don't know that. 
And then people, some people have a real struggle to stay on the food plans that the doctors have put them on. Because, and again, if the food plan has something that they're allergic to, they're always going to struggle if they don't know what it is, if they don't know what the allergy is that's triggering this craving that they're having. I remember years and years and years ago, they I went to a convention, the annual convention for OA, and this woman stood up and she said, I had this surgery. Since then, I've had nine other surgeries. It must not have worked. And she said, all I can tell you is, this was what, this was in a group of 50 pounds and more weight loss. And she said, all I can tell you is don't do it. For some people, the tool works. It is a really radical kind of thing. But bottom line is, if you're allergic to certain foods and you take them in, doesn't matter what you do, you're still going to react to them. Because it Again, it's that if you're allergic, you are whether you like it or not. I mean, you may sit there and say, but I don't like this. Too bad. That's the way it is. It's like with bee stings. If you're allergic to a bee sting and you get stung by a bee, you're going to react whether you like it or not. And so I treat this as a tool for the people who have had it and who come to OA for because they know they need something else. Um, and I, we certainly treat all of our patients with respect that come to have this. I mean, I cannot judge anyone as to what they're doing. And so for me, it's, it's if you come to OA, you just start at the beginning like everybody else, and doesn't matter. I mean, you could come with one leg, and that's fine, too. <laughs> you know, doesn't matter. That's all. Thanks. Melissa? Yeah, yeah. So my, you know, um, my doctor wanted me to have it done. And what happened to me was um, I started doing research and I remembered reading somebody um, sharing their story about they lost a lot of weight really fast. They were really successful on it. And then they discovered that they could eat a particular food um, because it wasn't a problem. You know, it just went down so easily. And when I read that, I knew I was screwed. I knew that I could never do that um, surgery because I knew I was going to eat that food. And especially knowing that this person was able to always get it down now I knew, like, I, I had information that was going to kill me. And, um, you know, and I have, unfortunately, I have people I love in my life who had the surgery, and it was disastrous for them. They, they've actually um, suffered terrible consequences as a result and regained their weight. Um, and, um, you know, and so for, I don't, I wouldn't recommend it for someone who has this disease only because, um Right. If you're going to eat your allergic foods and if you don't have a spiritual awakening, both things are required to have recovery from compulsive overeating. And, and that most of what I know of is that the bariatric surgery does not address the, um, the spiritual malady, which is the biggest problem that I have. 
that I have a spiritual malady and they don't do anything for my spiritual growth when I have surgery. However, I have worked with people who have had the surgery and if they are able to follow a food plan that does not have their alcoholic food and work the steps of this program, they too can recover, right? That's, that's the requirements for recovery is um, put the food down, you know, and work the steps of the program. Um, I just think that, um, yeah, you have to make sure, because I know sometimes the bariatric, I know it with a good friend of mine, the, the plan that her doctor gave her. And I was laughing, Edie, when you talked about Weight Watchers, because I always did amazing on Weight Watchers in the beginning, because it was, it was, it had nothing on it. There was no choices. But the third week, when you got some choices, oh gosh. And that's what I've seen happen with friends of mine that did, my friend that did the bariatric surgery in the beginning. It's very stringent. You can't eat. I think most of her alcoholic foods, but what happened was she was supposed to now moderate other things. And you can't, if you have this, the, the, the allergy manifests itself in a craving that is beyond mental control. Um, so I don't, you know, but we can certainly help people who've had the surgery. Thanks. Thank you, all three of you. We have one more anonymous question in chat. <clears throat> what do you do if you have a sponsee you don't really like as a person or who really gets on your nerves, who you would never want as a friend? Also, do you have to avoid showing favoritism among sponsees? Yeah, we're getting into it. You know what? It's so funny because I've really... I've never had that happen. It's like God invented you guys just for me. And I have always related to something from all of you. Isn't that something? I mean, I have had sponsees who have had that issue. And my advice to them is... Gently drop the person because that person deserves to have somebody that genuinely cares about them. And if you're uncomfortable working this program, is that really working this program? I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know, but I don't think we're, any of us have to work with anybody that we're not comfortable with. That's, that's my, my feeling. Thank you. Um, I don't think that I've, I can't think of anybody that I didn't like. I think that when people come into OA and they ask for a sponsor, that everybody approaches it with humility, with I want to, you know, we're all on the same path, we're all on the, um, there were only a couple that I had to let go because they were, they, I guess I would say they were willful. They wanted their way. And that's fine. They can have their way, but maybe with someone else. And, and which was fine, you know. Um, I had a gal who wanted to be an instructor at Weight Watchers so that she could spread the word about OA. I said, okay, you're perfectly willing perfectly able to do that, 
but I can't sponsor you. Because that's not what this is about. And so she left because she didn't want to hear that, which is fine because everybody has to go their own path. That's one of the things that I learned about this program is the only person in my path with me is my higher power. Everybody else is in their own path right next. And we're all holding hands, but nobody's in my path, and I'm not in their path. And that's a really good thing because my higher power I know I can depend on always. I know that there, there's no putting anybody on a pedestal because that person may eat. And if that person may eat and I, that's my hero, then what am I going to do? So we're all just in this one day at a time, one person at a time, holding hands and saying, we'll help anybody. You know, and thank God you're here. Thank God you're here. Thank, thank God you're here, you people. <laughs> because together we can do it. Thanks. Yep. Hey, Melissa. Um, I love that question. I just think it's really funny. And I'm looking at, like, I have lots of people here that have sponsored or sponsored me, so I don't have that issue at all. I like everybody. Um, but, you know, the truth is, is that many of us come in, um, we're extraordinarily self-centered, we're, we're self-absorbed, we're, you know, I was like a sad sack, you know, I was, everything was all about me, I was like drama, 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 me and my heartache, me and this, I don't know that I was like, I had the, you know, the qualities of like someone you'd want for your best friend, I don't think I could really I couldn't really offer anybody friendship. I just needed help. And thank God I had um, sponsees, sponsors with really big hearts who, who just wanted to help me. And what I found out is um, that's, that's like they, they gave me that ability to. They, they sort of gifted me with that. And, you know, a result of working the steps um, is we actually – become people who aren't as self-centered anymore, that we really want to, when I see someone crying who's a sad sack, I, I don't like, they don't annoy me. I think, oh, good, maybe they're willing. Maybe they're willing. And I think what I found out is that the people that I have the most difficulty with are people who are willful, people who, who are stubborn, people who want to do it their way who tell me, you know, like that they do this thing called sponsor shopping. So they ask me a million interview questions. They, they, as soon as something is too difficult, you know, then they want to negotiate. Yeah, that I have a hard time with. But if I think if we're really clear and upfront, the requirements is a desire to get well. Um, I, I generally, I fall in love with everybody I work with. We just, I just, I'm so lucky. I really, I've got like, you know, this disease of compulsive overeating was one of horrendous solitude and isolation. I always felt alone in a crowd. I always felt like everybody knew the secret to how to fit in, but they never told me. So I always felt separate and alone. And this is the exact opposite. I feel an incredible connection. I have like a beautiful um, 
you know, a, a, a whole tribe of friends that I adore, that I really love. And, um, and I see that happening. It's like that ever widening network. We all just wind up loving each other. It's like great big kumbaya love fest. <laughs> and um, so I say if you've got someone who wants your help and they're annoying you, you know, maybe, maybe open up your heart a little wider, give them some direction, and see if they don't change um, as a result. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you all so very much. In closing, as OA's Responsibility Pledge states, always to extend the hand and heart of OA to all who share my compulsion. For this, I am responsible. Thank you all so much for joining us here today after a moment of silence. If you wish to unmute yourself, you can join us in the serenity prayer. God. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, wisdom to know the difference. I will and mine be one. Thank you. Thank you all.